0: I'm Charles Rudolph. Um, I'm an associate professor uh, in the School of Architecture at Georgia Tech in Atlanta.
1: All
2: right, and um, you were here for a particular interest of yours, which was Minimalist Art and Architecture?
0: That's right. I taught um, a seminar (coughs) titled Minimalist Art and Architecture from 1999 until 2008.
1: Okay,
2: so what was it, what, what drew you to, I mean there's so many other subjects in architecture that people can be drawn to, why was it minimalism that drew you?
0: It was because I was a, a student painter uh, in my undergraduate days at Rice University, and that would be the uh, late 70s. And um, my teacher was um, a Greek gentleman named Vassilios Poulos who was a color field painter and so I followed his lead, and uh, and basically abstraction was was what everybody was doing. Nobody was, well, a few people were painting figuratively, but we yeah. were all doing abstract canvases.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, <clears throat> and then I started to get more gestural and, and drawing and everything, and then I started really getting sloppy and slinging paint. <laughs> and uh, I took an elective class by uh, Thomas McEvely, mm-hmm. uh, also at that time, and his course was titled uh, art is idea, and it basically just blew up everything that I thought was or held dear about art at the time. And uh, so, were you were you
2: originally an art student? And I was an
0: art. Well, I was an uh, architecture and art art history major, double major.
1: Oh, okay. Well, basically,
0: good. everybody that was in the architecture school at Rice. Could easily get a second degree in art history, and we took a lot of studios and art history classes.
2: There's enough overlap there. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, art and ideas class it blew everything up. What it, what it?
0: It was a, it was basically about conceptual art, which I knew nothing about at the time.
2: Right, and that's the that's the art that I think most people are willing to or at first say that's not art. What is? Well, that? I could do that's that.
0: that's the that's the kind of art that infuriates most people the yeah. most.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody stands in a room. For well,
0: a I don't know. Monochrome, monochrome painting probably infuriates people just as much.
2: Especially like the uh, Ellsworth Kelly white paintings. Yes. We were in the, my wife and I were at the Jewish the Holocaust Museum in D.C. and we're going down a hallway, and there's three Ellsworth Kellys, and they're, they're white paintings on a white wall, and you, everybody's running past, and I'm like, wait a second. You look, <laughs> and you're like, you're, eventually I found a little tag. Yeah, it's an Ellsworth Kelly, and you're like, well.
0: When I taught career discovery in architecture to um, high school kids, and I did that for 15 years, we would always go to the High Museum. And uh, almost every summer, um, most of my time at the High was, was spent explaining the Ellsworth Kellys, <laughs> attempting to explain.
2: Where um, uh, were the kids from in Atlanta? Just all over. All over. Yeah. Yeah,
0: all over. But back to to what got me interested in minimalism. Um, Mm -hmm. As you know, I mean, Houston is a real terrific place uh, for um, just great art collections. Oh yeah, Uh, yeah. And the the Menils are to uh, thank for that. So Rice University was uh, blessed with um, the Menils gift of the uh, media center there. And also they supported um, the art history and and the painting programs. And, whenever you wanted to, to see fantastic contemporary art, you just went up the street to Mises Museum edition or yeah. across the street to the contemporary. So all the stuff was, was there, was out there. But I didn't really, I mean, minimalism scared me because it was, it was not about your expressive emotions. It was, a very, it was a very kind of hard art, and it was very materially literal. Um, which links it to architecture for me.
2: Right, I could see that. I mean, it's kind of um, a lot of the, the L.A. architect artists at a time, they had a period where it was kind of about, there was no idea, it's just the material, and they would have a plastic cube or some other pieces, and it's yeah, sort of a...
0: Well, in the period of uh, what you could call um, canonical minimalism, the artists were experimenting with these new synthetic materials mm-hmm. and paints and other things I mean it seems so archaic now but Dan Flavin's colored fluorescent lights were a really big deal yeah in the late 50s early 60s I mean nobody was making them they were brand new
2: yeah yeah I think they have a piece of his at the Manel the Manel's got all kinds of yeah um, Houston's got great art collections too you don't think of Houston as being a real cultural center but they've got some amazing buildings and collections absolutely so you took this class and the ideas that well it's funny we do we just talking about how a lot of it's about being very concrete but there's it was called art and ideas right art as idea art art as idea um
0: actually i ended up dropping the class about <laughs> midway through because uh the uh, studio uh deadline started getting hot and heavy and we had to come up with a project for the art as idea class and i was just I was just uh dumbf- I couldn't I couldn't think of anything to do and all these other students were coming up with these great conceptual ideas and I just I just freaked out and dropped the class.
2: You couldn't you could you still couldn't get your head around it right then? No. That's funny. I was looking at an old transcript of mine because we we're moving. All I
0: could think of was just burning my canvases in public. That's about all I could think That's of. That's all you do. could think of. It. You didn't <laughs> think that
2: was gonna be compelling?
0: One student came and disrobed in class for her project, I believe, but I wasn't there because I'd already dropped it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Minimalist art seems to be a good chance to explore nudity in public
1: often. So. Um. Well, you
0: can't confuse conceptual art and minimal art, though. Um, conceptual art took minimal art one step further. I think when Robert Irwin came here and lectured, he said, just imagine the minimal The minimal art is the, is the, uh, gl- the glass and the, mm-hmm. the glass of water, and then the conceptual artist just pours the water out, basically. Right, right. No simplistic definition, but...
1: Right, um. right.
0: <clears throat> So all, I guess all you're left with is, is the glass, the vessel for something, but not, I don't know.
2: So it's like the concept art doesn't even, doesn't, doesn't even have a, necessarily have to have a physical thing to it. I mean, I guess right. you have to have some minimal gesture that brings it, but. I think that's
0: what the conceptual artists were, were um, frustrated about, was having to, to ha- art having to be this, this, this thing.
1: Right, right.
0: This, this thing in the world. Um, so, if someone breathes, I guess they're making art, but we can't see it.
2: Right. Well, or, that's an interesting idea. Um, so yeah, so you got your double double major from Rice. Yep. And you then did you go right into teaching, or did you work for a while? You worked for a while, right? I worked for a while. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I worked for one of my professors for three years, and then <clears throat> I went uh, on the old uh, pilgrimage to Europe. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> See all one, those
2: buildings that you've seen pictures
1: of in right, black Right, right.
0: Then I ended up, when I came back, I moved to New York.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um,
2: yeah. So I guess we, we get into subject matter a little bit more, but so you're at Georgia Tech and you have this interest in painting and painting background and minimalism. Um, and you formulated this class idea, this mm-hmm. studio. Or not studio, excuse me. this um, Seminar. No, seminar. yeah. Um, what was kind of the genesis behind that? Was it really you just sitting around thinking about things you wanted to explore more? Or?
0: I think it um, it basically was um, uh, prompted by my interest in the work that was contemporary at that at that time, um, and I'm talking about the late. Well, I didn't start teaching the class till '99, but the work that interested me interested me was the work that. Came after postmodernism in the 80s and into the early 90s, like the early work of Herzog and Dameron, for instance.
2: Yeah, yeah, and they were they were really beginning to get attention at that time, In right. the, in the ni- late to mid 90s, and um,
0: and people were writing about them in relation to minimalist art, mm-hmm. also.
2: Um,
0: and then when I was at Columbia, there was a magazine that I always used to. To go for first, and it was called 9H, and it was published uh, um, in Switzerland. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And 9H refers to the 9H pencil, and, oh, right, and the, right. the, the amount of kind of precision that that implies.
2: <laughs> the hardest lead, the you hardest lead you can, have. yeah, you can you can get. So, yeah, um, the cleanest line.
0: And then um, Wilfred Wang, who taught at the ETH, uh, uh, also w- had written this book that I brought in today. It's called or he edited it, it's called On Rigor. Uh, it was by also, 9H, yeah, yeah. also published by 9H. And so um, I just kind of devoted myself to, to, to rigor <laughs> um, and, and finding what would cross over from art into architecture in that way. Rigorous okay. thinking, rigorous looking, rigorous making.
2: And I suppose that's what minimalist art's really about, is this you're gonna make the smallest gesture possible, so it has to be the most kind of meaningful thing, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. And then that plays into a certain, that's a kind of an interesting twist on kind of the modern idea of modernism's kind of architecture being only what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But it's different when you're taking it from minimalist art, I suppose.
0: But I wanted to construct the seminar to ask the question, uh, kind of what is, what is a kind of valid, critical um, adoption of a minimalist practice or thinking, and mm-hmm. what, is, what is not? what is, like, superficial or um, just kind style. of style, stylistic. Style. Yeah, because minimalism, I mean, is often associated with very luxurious uh, sort of apartments. Uh, uh, there's yeah. minimalist clothing. Um, it, it's it's But then it's ironic because the minimalist architect, John Paulson, who you think of with these luxurious apartments, publishes a book on... Um, Cistercian monasteries. So you've got the spiritual uh, right. on the other side.
2: Those kind of um, Romanesque monasteries are very, they're not, you think of a medieval church, you think of a Gothic with all these sculptures, but the yeah. Romanesque are very plain and- And, and beautiful. Really beautiful, beautiful. Um,
0: <clears throat> Unfortunately, I never, I haven't visited one yet. I have haven't
2: you? either, I've only seen pictures of uh, them. They're, they're kind of hard to get to. They're, they tend to be out of the way. Right, right. Um, so. But
0: that—that's basically what I was interested in, and, and every year uh, that I would teach the class, the students would do amazing uh, papers, and and I always wanted to to uh, take, I don't know, find, continue some of those ideas the students came up with further, and right. and that was the that was the joy of teaching it, because I couldn't predict what the students were going to discover or write about.
2: Well, it's a challenging question too. That's. Minimal, this mode of operating in minimal art—how does that apply to architecture? Where they look very similar, and they, you see a lot of parallels between functionalist design and that. Yes, and then, yeah. But then I think the spiritual part of it, and the other parts, make it very—and the art agenda make it a weird fit. It, mm-hmm. It's
0: surprising. Well, in the class, um, some of the architects um, I talked about were are very different, and and that was what was fun was trying to to find what, um, how you could discuss, say, Ando and Mies mm-hmm. or Sager Lawrence and um, Barragon, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's all the kind of cultural business um, that can't be ignored, but there, there's also something about a sensibility that you want to find that they share, right?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's really true. I mean, they are—they do seem very, when you see their work, they do seem very steeped in, like, their culture. But spatially, they feel that, that, that sensibility, whatever that is. Well, what I wanted to
0: communicate to the students was that what brought most of these, well, I think all of them together is construction, was first and foremost um, the kind of vehicle yeah. of, of the architecture. And I think it that minimal art... I hate to use the word minimalism. I like minimal art. Minimal art is 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 really about material and space and and the phenomena uh, of space and material interacting. Yeah, if that that sounds a little. Well, I think it makes uh, sense. though so if you're making a minimal funny,
2: gesture, and you can make it as meaningful as possible. Now you're thinking about right. where the object sits on the sheet of paper, and all those other things become these really deep places of study.
0: Right, and. Uh, Peter Zumthor is the other person yeah, that yeah. really got my attention early on. Yeah, and so that brings together the the representation or the drawing of, of of architecture, and we don't literally build; someone else has to build. But yeah. in our minds, we're trying to to think of a, of a when we draw a line or click a line or drag
1: a line. <laughs> right, right. Or is its it is it is it, a,
0: is it brick stone uh, I mean there's there's this material uh, thinking that that we do
1: right right you have to and get that artists through. do
0: and artists literally make their their well that's not true Donald Judd didn't make his his works yeah um, Andy Warhol had his
2: stuff I think conceptualism out, so. kind of brought that yeah. open that up a little bit if you have the idea mm-hmm. you can get it done um, was it Kelly also that did the instruction paintings too, where he would have a pair of written instructions you'd buy Mm, Saul LeWitt did that. Uh, Saul LeWitt for you're the wall wall right.
0: For the wall drawings. Yeah. Right. And then right. you would
2: follow his directions and you'd get whatever you got. So right. You could, After yeah. months right. Of, of sharpening
0: <laughs> hundreds of pencils.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's an experience for the you're, you're getting at least. You should I go
0: think. to Mass Mocha uh, and see the permanent collection of LeWitt's uh, wall drawings. Is that in Massachusetts? Yeah. It's, okay. Um, Close to uh, where Williams College is, uh, I'm, I'm uh, not Williamstown. I'm, anyway. Also, right up the road is Ondo's uh, museum. Um, oh yeah, he has two. Um, they're separated by about 15 years. But anyway, the, right. the Lewitts are on three different floors, from the uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s.
1: Oh, cool. So yeah. you got to go a decade up every time yes, you go up. right. Yeah
2: there's something just um, there's something I think profound in minimalism too in that it's like you're kind of looking at it and it's, it's just a, a pigment on paper mm-hmm. but by only being that it's also kind of everything else at the same time It kind of feels like the Hindu idea of zero that it mm-hmm. draws a line around nothing but it also draws a line around everything so um, so yeah you've got a bunch of books here so what were some of the artists I guess we'll start with that you were really looking at
0: well, um, I really treated the, the class a little bit like a survey for the first part because I just wanted to, to uh, have the students get up to speed with uh, sort of the beginnings of minimalism, which would be the late 50s, early 60s in New York. And so um, the, the top five were um, Don Judd, Frank Stella, Carl Andre, uh, Dan Flavin. And uh, well, Robert Smithson's later. I would say
2: those those right. four. Was it Judd that did the small town in Martha Texas? Is that his? Uh huh. The Chinati
0: Foundation, yeah, in Marfa. Are, or
2: every um, year we talk about vacation, we think about going there, and then it's mm-hmm. like it's like 18 hours of driving. Merrill Elam uh,
0: <laughs> taught a studio here at Tech last semester, and she took her class there. Yeah. And they
2: ended up doing these
0: uh, great films and installations based on what what they experienced there.
2: Oh, very cool! So they, it's, it's this old Texas town. And there's these minimalist sculptures, and I can one picture I remember is like a series of platforms that are all three feet by three feet, but they might be slightly different heights or something like that. He actually
0: bought uh, military a kind of military. Uh, uh, complex.
1: Okay. Okay. And turned
0: the the buildings. Some of them were these kind of Quonset hut type buildings with vaulted roofs, uh, mm-hmm. and they were perfect uh, perfect uh, architecture for his installations. Yeah. And then he went out into the landscape um, with with these concrete uh, boxes and things.
2: Yeah, and there's a, I've heard a lot of people who've been there. They talk about that the relationship of that kind of austere West Texas landscape Mm -hmm. and these austere objects that are somehow alien still. Um,
0: He also had a great uh, collection of other artists' work, like John Chamberlain, who did the sculptures with the uh, crushed cars. Yeah, yeah. And um, Flavin. Uh, Mm -hmm. Judd has Flavin works. But that's on my list. I've got to go to Marfa.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: me too. We're going to figure it out one day when we have enough time to burn... Two days coming and going. Yeah, at least. (laughs) Um, So yeah, there's a survey of those artists and I think we've talked a a little enough about what minimalism kind of is. And then I guess you introduced some architects that were minimalist or that you thought were minimalist for the students to.
0: Yeah, the first part of the the course was um, all about the art. Uh, And the second part was trying to figure out how to talk about the architecture in the, in the context of, of minimal art practice and or history. Right. Or ideas. Minimal art ideas.
2: If it was a mode, if you were operating in that mode as a minimal artist, how would this project be described? But
0: every class I would end up saying uh, that I don't believe architecture should be practiced self-consciously as an art. Uh, It may be categorized as such. right? Um, and actually, I read an interview with uh, uh, Jacques Herzog just this afternoon, and he did say that this was in 1997. Yeah, I guess he would still agree with that uh, statement, but
2: maybe more so now. Yes,
0: he so he l- loved uh, collaborating with artists and getting ideas uh, from artists, um, and and he always said that art artists teach uh, teach us how to look a lot closer than architects do. Yeah, and and that's that's their main inspiration i think
2: well there's i mean i guess there's a kind of difference between design and art and how they have so much overlap and in design a lot of times i feel like you're trying for people not to see something so that <laughs> they see the important thing or mm-hmm. that they understand how the functionality of something works cuz you're you don't want them seeing every last detail i think
0: yeah and um i think maybe if minimal art had the most important thing that I would take from it into architecture is how can how can you create a situation using materials and space, structure, whatever, that uh, makes someone kind of notice their surroundings more, be yeah. be more be more conscious of of their place in in a place.
1: Yeah, and there are a
2: lot of there are a lot of architectural works you you here are kind of proclaimed for they they have this moment which breaks you from your day um, mm-hmm. can't think of any right I mean that
0: now. can be um,
2: that can it's
0: hard to do that in our networked uh, sensationalist entertainment oriented society <laughs> yeah uh, to find places that spaces that do that or, or architectures that do
2: that well a lot of the architecture that was popular at that time too the deconstructivists were kind of Fit into that kind of mm-hmm. angles, going everything, and all kinds of things shouting at you, and and never never thought of that it. That was the some time. very
0: aggressive architecture that was made. Very
2: assertive. Then. Yes.
0: Uh, mm. I don't know. I haven't haven't seen or read anyone who's done a gone back and like taken stock of like the the deconstructivist architecture that was celebrated at the time. Like what. What is it? How, H- how it do we hold how, up? Yeah. Yeah. What, what do we think about it now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: we know what happened to a lot of the postmodern uh, projects. They just um, because they were so um, kind of visually oriented and the, the drawing got translated into the building via poor material workmanship most of the time. Yeah. Um, um, a lot of those projects didn't didn't age very well
2: yeah i was in port portland recently and saw the the portland oh school yes building. and of course one of the be- one of the things they he pitched with that is it's so cheap because it's yes. just ephis and steel and i can make it architecturally interesting with all the colors i can add to it so
0: see with an architecture that learns from from minimal art um the um the patina and the aging and all of that the de- the 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 returning to to base matter would be good
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, in fact, I'm doing um, a project in studio now, the Solar Decathlon House, and after um, kind of looking at some um, of the early Herzog and Demeron work, and I, I want to um, experiment with with mold and algae on the uh, oh, right. <laughs> on the house. Uh, I mean, we have to collect solar energy and all of that, but I want the house to be um, materially Real as real as possible.
1: Right,
2: right. I've always wanted to. Um, a lot of talk about green roofs, but there's a Frenchman who's developed a green wall technique, which is incredibly lush. Yeah. And yeah. kind of an interesting thing that would be fun to play with. Um, <clears throat>
0: a true living wall. A
2: true it? living wall. Yeah, not just a. Well, not. just... I shouldn't say that. Not not a not only a um, mural on a street corner somewhere, but. Um, yeah. So you mentioned. Um, you mentioned Mies van der Rohe, which most people know who's uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: kind of god is in the details. But it's interesting all these guys you mentioned seem like they are I don't think of them as having articulated deep ideas. But Mies in particular does feel very spiritual in how he places things in this mm-hmm. his kind of search for some kind of meaning in these as his career goes on these increasingly narrower frames of operation where it's kind of
0: yeah, Mies is um, <clears throat> he's he's an interesting interesting fellow.
2: <laughs> yeah, he. Um,
0: I was just thinking today about um, I mean, you have you have sort of three Mieses. Yeah. Uh, you have the the, vi- the 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 kind of visionary glass Mies of the proposals for the high rises.
2: The five five projects Mies uh, that he had all. Yeah, he did. Or his. or the uh, the, the the skyscrapers,
0: one of yeah. which uh, has. A curvilinear form, and the other is like a crystal, yeah. basically a, a crystal. Yeah. And then you have brick house meese, brick country house meese, yeah. which was closer to when he was an uh, intern with Barons, worked with Barons, mm-hmm. where he probably learned all the brick detailing. And then you have your glass and steel meese, or meese in America meese.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And probably most students uh, were were taught the Mies in America Mies, or learned that.
2: Yeah, probably as, more so, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it was interesting though, how this, the use of his steel shapes shifted from where he had, you go to his pro- products, he had that little cross-shaped piece. Yeah, the, the cruciform
0: column. Yeah,
2: yeah. and then he got to America and they have these industrial, oh, we have these industrial prefabricated steel pieces. And he, mm-hmm. I guess he became fascinated by that and made that.
0: That's interesting, then he decided to paint, paint them black.
2: Um, yeah, started adding color to them, uh, or black to dark brown,
0: right? Or, or the buff brick of IIT. Um, yeah, no, Mies Mies is fascinating, and um, there's a one of the readings in the course was uh, uh, Mies Van Der Rohe and Minimalism by um, um, Solá Morales, the Spanish writer, and mm-hmm. he talks about Mies's uh, use of materials and understanding their effects. Effects better than any other architect, particularly glass, or yeah. how he can make glass um, and granite almost switch Roles. characters. Right. Uh, that the granite so applied would be uh, transparent almost or reflective and lightweight looking, and glass the opposite.
2: Glass could be very gray and almost a steel looking. And opaque, yeah. Right. There's. Um, you go, we went to the Farnsworth House recently. Whenever we go on vacation, mm. I drag my wife to buildings, and she puts up with it because she's an engineer. At least really, so she can look at stuff.
0: Especially the Farnsworth House. She could uh, dig on all those welded uh, joints.
2: All those welded joints, and it's, it's also so minimal that all the functional stuff is kind of there if you look. So mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's thinking including
0: the of- uh, the drain pipe, the um, or the uh, waste pipe that has to come down. Under the house.
2: Yeah, the black tube that comes out <laughs> under the house. You never quite see in the photographs. No, no. But there's um, a corner window where he'd originally specified plate glass. And you can't do that anymore because people would rip themselves to shreds. And so one of them broke when, when the river flooded, and they had to replace it with... Insulating glass? M- well, uh, tempered glass. Oh, oh. And you okay. could... you could s- they, they pointed it out. You could see how the—the the, when they're, where it comes to a corner, you get a mirrored reflection, and it looks like the space begins to multiply infinitely. Mm-hmm. But on the side where they used the glass he didn't specify it's a little wavy it's a little so the effect is oh. just a little
0: when were you big. when were you there
2: might have been i've been to chicago was probably two years ago okay you were there
1: recently i yeah. was
0: i've been to farnsworth once and that was when i took students in 2004. okay and that was right after it got uh, renovated after the flood yeah, but I did not notice. I did not look close enough to notice the the glass.
2: Well, the tour guide pointed that out, or I uh, wouldn't have noticed it. Yeah. And then once she did, he started looking at the other corners, and it's uh-huh. <laughs> anyway very minimal. Um, <clears throat> so actually, I'm looking over your shoulder. You have your old syllabus up, which is great. <laughs>
0: well, actually, that was a that was a talk I gave at Perkins and Will this summer.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They, do, they Perkins and Will does some nice. It was a lunchtime, uh,
0: lunchtime chat in July.
2: Right. So you've got like typologies of minimal study there. So um, material is obviously is that like minimal material? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I I add an ism to that. Uh, An ism to that. And I know I wonder exactly what that means. uh, Materialism. (laughs) Um, And then structure, phenomena, geometry, and place. Those were the typologies I decided on, at least for that talk
2: were those sort of, what, why did you decide on those were those kind of things you thought were major pieces of
0: I thought I could organize the artworks and the architecture works under those topics most easily
2: Oh so you could put both
1: of them kind of right. on the same Right
0: But what what ended up happening was that with Peter Zumthor what do you do with him material structure place Yeah uh, phenomena I could argue for all of them
2: yeah, when you think of his uh, his, the, I think the project that brought him to international, the Vau Baths project, right? And it seems to be all those things at once. And how those,
0: I would say, material and phenomena. Yeah. What because the water and the steam and and all of the light that that plays such a role there, but it wouldn't have its power without the way that he uses the stone. Yeah. Um. And again, I've never been to Vowels, That's on the list too. I've got to see. The, haven't seen Zunther's
2: works. Well, at least it's in a beautiful place too. So, right. Yeah. Right. Um, I think geometry
0: and structure are important too, uh, because that's so uh, basic to architecture.
2: Yeah, it is kind of the. I think there's an the idea there too. If you start with, I've always think of it as like pouring steam heat into a design too, or like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but it. You start off with the basic necessities and work from there, and don't. I guess so. The geom so you're figuring out the geometry.
0: Mm-hmm. I always like to tell students, thank goodness we're architects because we don't have a blank page yeah. to deal with. Yeah, uh, and we we do have to make buildings that can be occupied and will not hurt people, and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so so working with that then how do you, you have to use geometry to, to organize things. And I mean, what do architects do fundamentally? We line things up.
2: We do. Yeah. It's always kind of push comes to shove. You're like, well, why don't we just line things up? Or I hope we line
0: things up. Hopefully
2: we line things up. It gives a certain rigor and, (laughs) or it makes it gives the appearance of having rigor that maybe the contractor won't be screaming his head off about all the different.
0: Right. um, And usually uh, when you think of materials and buildings, you think of, of, um, things in discrete amounts and sizes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So every material has a kind of geometric, um, I don't want to say limit, but is, there's, a, there's a kind of geometry that, that is inherent to all material.
1: Right, right. Um,
0: and now the, the, a lot of current thinkers in architecture are turning towards biology, of course, as, yeah. the, as the new uh, metaphor.
2: The and new nature. They're the drawing new. Figures. The new nature. Yeah,
0: right. And and so, what? How will technology, sort of, follow along those lines? With minimal art, uh, especially the early art, it tended to be very very rigid, and 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 the geometry was was Euclidean for the right, most part. Right, right, right. And the industrial materials also lent this kind of, uh, or hardness, Cartesian hardness.
1: And, the, yeah. Yeah. Sort um, of um,
0: Panels. You had panels. You had stacking. You had, but then Richard Serra comes along and starts flinging molten lead into the corners of a room to index the, the meeting of the vertical and the horizontal. And oh boy, got something new.
1: Yeah, yeah, this
2: lumpy thing. And yeah. we've
0: got we've got lead and we've got rubber and we've got steel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Serra is another another artist that figures really prominently or did in in my seminar, and and I really. Uh, I think his work is, is fantastic and has been consistent.
2: Yeah, he doing on a dude, I'm, I'm so bad with names, like the Torque de Lipses. Torque de right. right. Mm-hmm. He did a, uh, I only saw it, it was an amazing minimalist sculpture, which was just a wall across a plaza, and the whole point of it was that people would be aware of going through the plaza. But as architecture, people hated it. Oh, the tilted arc, his, yeah. they to go around this damn wall in the, right. the plaza. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, right, I think it was kind of the federal government
0: spent. office building plaza, no less. Yeah, I'm sure and, that was not at there all. And there was a gentleman, I forget his name, that basically uh, engineered the, the demolition of, or the taking out of the, of the sculpture who worked in the building and had to look at it every day from his office.
2: Yeah, so...
0: So um, we all know how that ended.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess he got <clears throat> a re- response out of people, so that's what he was going for. Um, I think going back to your point about, like, so glad we don't have to work with a blank template, that, that suggests to me, at least, the way that a minimalist approach to architecture is valuable. That we talk a lot about problematizing things. Like, you'll have to be asked to put together a thesis of, like, the domestic house. Problematize it. Like, <laughs> like it, there's nothing wrong with it now. Create yeah. a problem. And sometimes that's very helpful to stir um, sure. creativity. But I think there's real value in an everyday level of an architect oh. of understanding these you're, this is a field coming to you loaded with things. And if mm-hmm. you deal with these things, out of this could become a meaningful architecture without you having to try to consciously stamp it with meaning or something. Oh, I,
0: I absolutely agree with that. And and I think that's where um, we just have to learn how to look at things and, and just appreciate things that um, for what they are, but also for what they could be if if presented or arranged differently. Yeah. Like this cheap Formica wood grain of my cheap desk here. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with fake wood uh, laminate. Yeah. But how are you going to use it?
2: Yeah. And it's kind of... Um...
0: Same thing with cement, uh, concrete, uh, well, carpet. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was an artist, uh, Rudolf Stingle who's really great. He, um, I saw an exhibit at the Whitney of his that um, featured uh, a kind of brown shag carpet that he took from another place and exhibited it on the wall. Right. And also styrofoam, big, thick, six, eight-inch styrofoam blocks that he had walked on by dipping his shoes uh, or boots, rubber boots, in some kind of uh, material that melted the styrofoam.
2: Some sort of acetate or something. So yeah.
0: you had his, I mean, his body made the piece, but when it was put on the wall, it had a totally different uh, kind of uh, look, totally like something you've never seen before. E- even though you, if you got up close, oh, that's styrofoam. Oh, those are his footprints.
1: Right. Right.
2: But somehow the, that, all that materiality and modes of meaning disappeared when it was on the wall. And, and
0: then the you thing. go from a room with the styrofoam blocks and the carpet. To a room with a mirrored floor,
2: so a real change, and
0: and uh, and a damask uh, felt or um, satin satin kind of
2: wallpaper. So, like radical shifts in materiality, right. also, but
0: also very architectural because uh, they were defining the space. Mm-hmm. Of the of the museum,
2: so yeah, there's that, that architectural idea of space making, which isn't about walls or windows; it's about somehow.
0: What role does the material play? Very right.
2: a very big role. Um, yeah,
0: visually and, and all the other senses too.
2: Well, there's a lot of talk about floor finishes sometimes in architecture about the change in sound of your shoe as you walk across. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It shows something meaningful, whether you're not aware of it or not, but it becomes a shift in. In the purpose of an area
0: that reminds me Kenneth Frampton um, in his critical regionalism essay and he wrote several but I think the first one 1983 wrote about the Alvar Aalto City uh, Town Hall mm-hmm. in Finland yeah and and described um, the sound of walking across the wood flooring on your way to the council chamber and that I think you you walked on wood and then you walked on brick which would silence you and then you walked on wood again when you're in the chamber. So So the architect prepared you from the outside in nature to the important space just with the materials.
1: Yeah, that that was one of the things
2: I was trying to think of an example of where that the materiality begins to impact you and how you're acting and then that changes your kind of interior mode. Mm -hmm, You're mm -hmm. chitting and you're, you're chatting and you're talking to somebody and suddenly you get into kind of an echoey space and you can hear your feet. And you're aware of you suddenly become very aware of yourself approaching the seat of government, the chamber. Exactly, yeah.
0: but that can happen on a much more mundane level in architecture yeah. too. That yeah. we can, if we just really paid attention to how we use materials. Um,
2: well, we, we yeah. There's um, my grandparents lived on a farm in Minnesota, and when you got close to their house, you turn off the main road onto the gravel road. Uh huh. And you know, as a little kid, because a, a little kid in the early '80s and late '70s, a lot of times you wouldn't be in a seatbelt; you'd just be laying on the floor, or, or in like,
0: the back window, or
2: in the back window, and you hear that, <laughs> you'd hear that crunching. Yeah, and that's that, you that, knew you were close. That sound has stuck with me ever since. Whenever that happens, so
0: yeah, my my uh, grandparents uh, that lived on a farm had a uh, uh, tin roof, and it was great to sleep up there when it rained. Of course, yeah, there was yeah. no insulation or anything, and. Was this
2: in Texas also? Arkansas. Arkansas? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, plenty of hot, so they want to get it all out of the house. Yeah. Um, there's a, a building in town, when you mentioned using materials, that I, I've, I've noticed before. It's the Brock Green Midtown Loft Building. They have this Mid-city kind city of, Lofts. city They yeah. have this kind of fake stone around the base, but then they push <laughs> these round holes through it. And so it ends up just feeling like a nice texture instead of trying to... For me, I don't know what the heck they think or other people. Instead of it trying to look like it's trying to mimic... Like your wood desk does. Yeah, it's using it in a, in a different way, which I think is kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, I think they weren't. Uh, they certainly weren't trying to fool us that it was a, a real bearing wall of granite. Right, right. But I think it alluded to the uh, the retaining walls, which are used in a lot of the 1920s and 30s construction in Midtown and.
2: Yeah, the Still Mountain granite yeah, walls. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I don't think they put rope rope masonry joints on them though. No, they. I love those those rope joint cobbled um, walls.
1: Yeah,
2: they kind of look like the joints almost look like vines climbing Mm -hmm. around them. Um, Mason had
0: to know what he was doing, he or she.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's interesting. though. I mean, nobody wants to do it that way anymore because it's sticking out. They think it absorbs water and pulls, whips Uh, it in. Yeah. um, But the walls have lasted this long, so how bad can it be? Right. Um. So you also mentioned uh, uh, Alvar Aalto earlier. These mm-hmm. are like a lot of architects I like, so we can just talk about that. Sure. So Alvar Aalto, not that you mentioned Alvar Aalto, he was a Finnish architect and kind of got known for bringing warmth to modernism. Even mm-hmm. though I think in Finland, they still thought he was cutting edge cold uh,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Up, up to that, and a lot of wood. And he was, one of the details I remember of his is the metal hand handle for a door that was wrapped in leather.
0: Yes, I actually visited that house. That's the Maison Carre uh, outside of Paris.
2: That's right. Yeah, and yeah, And it yeah. was
0: for um, a wealthy um, industrialist, I think. Yeah. His, um, his, um, oh, I'm, I'm, the the, the house, um, I can't, Normarku. Normarku is the town. Okay. The the villa, the sumptuous villa that he's known for, was for a paper magnate. And he also designed the, the paper mill, or mills for the company.
1: Oh, but but yeah, this yeah, house
0: yeah. in Paris is for another industrious. But anyway, it's a sumptuous house, and it did have incredible light fixtures, uh, Alto furniture everywhere. It was a total work of art.
1: Yeah, it's good to get that. And that,
0: that hand ra- handle that you're talking about was the door handle into the owner's private study.
2: Oh, it's just the one door handle that's done I, it yes. like. Wow, I didn't realize that. You just see the, the kind of picture of the handle. And
0: he did some variations on it, but the leather handled one, I think there's only one in the house, and that was to the to the library.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's... So it was super special. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of the minimalism that comes in there, is that kind of attention to how the... Because he, he was not the exuberant architect that others were. He's kind
1: of I uh,
0: I didn't include Alto in my... Architect I list. Nice. I, I I included uh, Larence, Sigurd Larence, hmm. who uh, designed the buildings that I talk about. Are the, the uh, his his churches and his little uh, flower stand for the Woodland Cemetery, designed by uh, Osblend.
1: Okay, I'm not, I'm actually not familiar
2: with his work, but it sounds very interesting.
0: I could re- reach back on the screen and call up a picture, but. I want you. I'll, I want you to Google it.
1: I will do
2: that.
0: But he he detailed this little this little building, um, and all it was for was so you could buy fresh flowers to take into the cemetery. But it was a, a curious little building that was basically a, a kind of shed roofed box, mm-hmm. and the shed roof was just very matter of fact with metal, and it had a, a very conspicuous gutter at the front, and then there was a door in the back that was weirdly about a foot and a half or two feet off the ground with no steps. And then he had two sheets of glass uh, fit into the concrete walls with just little metal clips, like literally um, not not framed, but just clipped and, and then sealed with some kind of uh, sealant uh, around them. So it was very, very minimal. And then the electrical conduit that was necessary for the interior to light up the, the flower displays, he exposed on the concrete wall and he did a, a design with the metal conduit and with the the junction boxes. Okay. So yeah. it was this totally unexpected looking thing. You can imagine people um, that came out of the, the cemetery or were, were coming to the cemetery looking at this building going, what is this? <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is not my idea of how we... All this to yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, it sounds fascinating actually, and it sounds like a very good object lesson. in to take a simple program and simple pieces and develop out something that's maybe surprising,
0: right? Right, um, Wilfred Wang, the, the writer I mentioned, um, the critic I mentioned, was the first person that I can remember that uh, sort of talked about Larence's work, mm-hmm. um. Late '80s,
2: early '90s. Is he? He's not Finnish, is he? Is he Scandinavian, Swedish? Or he's Swedish. Okay, that sounds. I'm sure I've seen some stuff. It sounds familiar. Um, you also mentioned, uh, dang it, I can't remember his name. Tadao Ando, or the, yeah. the Japanese, and yeah. you can see his his Church of the Light, or mm-hmm. a couple other. I can't think of now. It's the water,
0: the water chapel. Sure, Yeah, yeah.
2: They really are just like these concrete boxes with a window, and that's like. Right, there might be a little wall that slices through to create an idea of entrance.
0: Ando's Ondo's really uh, he's really interesting. There, he's done so much building, all over the world, and yeah, he's a, a big a big big deal. Um, I don't know. It's it's uh, some of his smaller projects. Uh, that's those are the ones I I talked about in the class where his houses. Yeah, a lot Not of so houses. Not so much the or or the small um, the small religious buildings.
2: Um, yeah. Well, he would do some small houses that, I don't know how much this is true, but the, the Westernites always saw that it's was kind of reflecting a Japanese tradition, but there would be, one sticks into my mind, I think it's the courtyard house with two rooms stacked on top of each other on either side, mm-hmm. and a courtyard with just like, maybe a stair, like it's the most austere looking thing you've ever seen yes. in drawing.
0: Yes. Uh, that's, that's, you, you, I'm trying to remember the name of the house. Um, can't remember it but um yeah and the criticism of ando i mean you look at his work and you really f- wonder if you uh have the the um i guess the the wherewithal to live
2: there yeah yeah um <laughs> you're gonna want to put something on the wall and you can't put it in a concrete
0: mm, right and you certainly can't just fill it full of junk and um, uh, and all your your stuff
1: yeah,
2: I mean you would you have to have another in, house
0: for all your stuff
2: that you live in, or yeah, it becomes like the Farnsworth <laughs> house where it's uh, rich people who have the spiritual need to live like a little hermit for a weekend or two at a time, and kind of.
0: I don't know if Edith Farnsworth ever really enjoyed the house. She probably enjoyed owning it, but it
2: she might have enjoyed making it too. A lot of there's a lot of excitement in that, and mm-hmm. then she has something. There's a lot of that was such a messy thing, and she took him to court and. Right. There's a lot of. I think fossils. the most
0: important material in the Farnsworth House are probably the silk draperies. I think they were originally silk. I, I guess when they when they replaced them after the flood, um, do you?
2: I don't remember, remember now. Remember feeling them? I don't remember feeling them. But they're <laughs> a little trans. They were a little translucent, right? They don't, they're not completely black out. And so it's this glass house that you can pull the shades to make it completely private. Right. Um, when it's open, it very much it doesn't feel like a house. It very much feels like some sort of contemplative uh, dais that little pavilion. Yeah. Pavilion. And then you're supposed to think about the meaning of the world or something there.
0: Living in a glass house would is is rough. You
2: to <laughs> <Yeah>, work out <laughs> a lot. And, you, especially
0: um, at night, it's just really spooky. Yeah, <clears throat> the
2: the the cla- the, it, the characteristic of, of glass to become reflective when there's something dark behind it, and you're exactly had that moment where you're sitting at your at the kitchen sink and you're about to flip the light off and if somebody was standing right outside the window you wouldn't know it and it would scare the bejesus out of you
0: speaking of glass house I just ran across um, on the internet a picture of Andy Warhol's uh, sitting in Philip Johnson's house oh really a p- picture taken from the outside through the glass oh yeah and there's a little bit of reflection of the of the trees and things and then there's Andy sitting in one of Mies's. Uh, Barcelona chairs.
2: God, I wonder what he was thinking about all that. I mean, it's. I think he and Philip were big buddies. He, I mean, he liked. I mean, Philip
0: was a great art collector. Had yeah. an incredible collection.
2: Um, he was, yeah, yeah. Well, that whole that whole that glass house he built, which was his thesis project. Was, right. The whole property is littered with bits of his art and stuff like that. And, but he's all he has always been also a great champion of other archi- artists and artists. Yes, so, yes. Um, and then we've mentioned Her- Herzog and Demeron several times who are the Swiss architects after Adam Basel, and he, uh, we can never say their nim- names right because you have to switch from French to German so quickly. <laughs> um, but they're, like Ando of that 90s era coming into attention, mm. but unlike the deconstructivists, it was very purposely mm-hmm. dumb almost and simple
0: well they've talked about um, they've talked about their education in, in Basel and um, their first teacher um, I forget his name but was more of a sociologist who told them don't worry about building anything just understand people and and just understand how to how to empathize and how to be in the world, so to speak, and then in comes Aldo Rossi with right. his with his ideas, and so they kind of were pulled in that direction towards the memory of the city and typology, monuments, the importance of of that. But Aldo uh, Rossi said, uh, "You should build," you and so and so they just threw themselves completely into into. Uh, wanting to to be architects and build build things.
2: Was Rossi, he was Italian-Swiss, Italian-speaking Swiss Swiss then, or is he Italian?
0: Uh, He spoke halting German, so they said, but he was uh, from Milan, from the north. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Or Milan or Turin. Uh, I I can't remember. Um,
2: So his work looks very postmodern, very much referential of classical motifs, but I, I think he thought he was... Or he was trying to operate in a, as you said, like a memory of the city, trying to move it forward. Well,
0: Rossi was hugely um, influential and, and important when I was a student. But we we fell in love with his drawings. I don't know that we really understood what his ideas
2: what the buildings look like. Yeah,
0: were about. And I mean, I read Architecture of the City and then Scientific Autobiography. Ideas. Um, but I just wanted to. Dr- I I thought his drawings were just fantastic. Um, And his buildings are disappointing too. I haven't been to that many of them. I haven't been to the cemetery in Modena, um, Mm -hmm. the one that probably was his most famous project. Um, But back to Herzog and Dameron, the other thing that they said was, was really influential to them. As students, was when there was an exhibit that came to, to Basel of Andy Warhol and Donald Judd, a kind of um, juxtaposing of those two pop of,
2: art and and minimal
0: right, yeah. Right. And so you can you can definitely see in their early work um, the influence of, of both um, artists.
2: Well, they certainly like screen printing a lot. Yeah, right? and you can see they, they did some very Andy Warhol esque patterns of screen printing on mm-hmm. this glass and. For a period, they were very much known for this kind of delaminating of a building and pulling it apart into all its parts, and then Uh each of those parts would get some sort of deep treatment thought about it, and it would create these sort of ephemeral melting building edges, and the way the different systems would line up would start creating patterns that weren't necessarily designed and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, their early work was so rigorous. It really was, because they thought about everything. They put so much thought into... Just construction, and yeah. and Raphael Moneo, um, in his w- writing about their work, says their build their early buildings, uh, not so much the late, but their early buildings were like a lesson in construction, or how the building uh, sits on the ground, how the material, you know, the knee bones connected to the hip bone,
1: right, right, that
0: kind of tectonic, but but then they went beyond that to that that could be that can be kind of um, boring and and unsatisfying if it's too simple yeah and so when they brought in uh things like the the screen printing on concrete and the way they used glass and other well here's the dominus winery with the the rocks and the gabion, yeah the wire walls i mean uh, they started doing some w- strange things with material um,
2: um yeah so instead of like kind of move from kind of mastering how it goes together to start thinking about how it, it could be something different. Right.
1: I think.
0: Their early work featured a lot of wood and, and they seemed to be fascinated with, well, probably they didn't have the budgets. So yeah. they were, what can we do with plywood or, or other wood products and, and use them in an interesting way? Yeah. Um, which is always, I mean, a challenge to, uh, to do a meaningful, rich architecture with nothing.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Almost yeah. nothing. Well, this uh, the first project that I at least brought, brought brought them to my attention was the train switching yard, which had mm. to be... They had a bunch of computers in there, so they had to cover the whole building with in copper. copper. Mm-hmm. And it's just... I mean, it's one of these pro- programs you get. It's like, it's a big box surrounded by copper. Right. And then, I, I guess, again, in kind of a... You could look at it as a minimalism way of operating. Absolutely, yeah. They said, we'll, we'll accept this as is. How, how do we make this thing... But the
0: genius was to uh, conceive of this of this copper object, yeah. And then it's not just a simple box; it's got a very kind of strange rhomboid shape to it.
1: Yeah, um, that yeah.
0: I, I forget how the form was derived. Did it have something to do with the with the um, direction of the tracks or? Or have I think so,
2: and some twisting happened. I think there were two of them actually, and one had a glossy copper, and one had a flat copper. Hmm. Am I remembering that? I saw I saw one of them from a bus in Basil as we went by. I don't remember.
0: That. And they let light into the rooms where the switching operators were, by, by just subtle little slots between the copper cladding.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Um,
0: Maybe that project, more than any other, really uh, stamped them as minimalist architects.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty minimalist, but then the program you're working with, it's hard to be, unless you've got a very crazy owner that wants you to build something uh, extravagant for no reason whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Then they did that concrete house um, in uh, Leyden. I think. The, The house was like a child's drawing of a house up on a concrete oh
1: right right
2: concrete platter <laughs> yeah and it was, it was kind of it looked like the house was kind of floating and i think the entrance might have been through the ground th- yes. yeah 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 about a class on minimalism it sounds like something kind of out and left field but it once you dig into it it really does have a lot of overlay with how architects operate and have to operate and it's an interesting way of looking at it mm-hmm. um
0: yeah, I, I'm I'm still interested in in pursuing the subject, and and I mean, I would love to to write something mm-hmm. um, that can hold together yeah. <laughs> about it um, and contribute something because um, it's been a while since someone's weighed in with a book on minimal architecture. Yeah. Two thousand four was uh, Mark Linder's book, Nothing Less Than Literal, okay. which was. Um, it contained a lot of writing about Robert Smithson, who was Linder's. I think that was his dissertation topic. Okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I'm curious because um, of, of what the next uh, book should be about. Um, my fascination with Herzog and Demeron sort of started trailing off after um, about 2003, 2004, and that coincided with their work being exclusively digitally generated, and their work getting to be so much grander and more spectacular. And
1: yeah, um,
0: I mean, some of their projects are just are just kind of crazy, good crazy. But yeah, and so they kind of uh, there are other architects that I want to find that are practicing um, this kind of minimal art material. Um, rigor, I guess.
1: Yeah, There's something interesting that Maybe happens. Maybe
0: smaller smaller practices, smaller work.
1: Yeah, there seems
2: to be something interesting that happens with architects when they reach a level of acclaim. They suddenly don't have to adjust. It seems like they have more freedom to do what they want. That's not always good. And then you have good for their rigor, because now they don't have to justify it as much. To
0: Actually, the one project that um, is linked back to early Herzog and Demeron is the uh, Long Island art museum Mm -hmm. which are just the beautiful sheds uh, steel framed uh, sheds out in the field yeah very beautiful
2: that sounds very beautiful knowing how they work you can see how that becomes more right yeah and then there's always something a little odd about Architects doing projects all over the world, and you're wondering how much is this? Is well, they have to deliver
0: a Herzog and de product every time. Every time, sort of mean. a one-off. Uh, this is spectacular.
2: And whether um, it's in Tokyo or it's in New York or it's yeah. in South Africa or something like that, it's. it's um,
0: we didn't mention Rem Koolhaas today, but this, oh, right, this right. new this new uh, uh, project in uh, rehabilitation, kind of. Um, or adaptive reuse, if you want to call it that, in, in Moscow is pretty fabulous.
2: Well, I haven't looked at that um, yet. I, I kind of I find myself referencing Rim all the time because, again, when yeah. I was in school, that was the yeah the guy that was everybody was excited about. And he's 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 kind of interesting in that way too. I don't, I don't know if he's ever quite a minimalist, but he certainly has a certain. Well, we'll just leave it like that. <laughs> kind of attitude, um, but well, this
0: is this has been enjoyable. Well, and, thanks. And I'm thankful that you're trying to make me put things together so they make sense. I'm not sure they did, but...
2: Well, you, um, could, you could take it and use it as a basis for everything sure. when you're listening to it. But yeah, thanks for your time. And um, we've been talking about other things and you've mentioned that like, oh, this is probably something that not a lot of people have heard talked about. So let's, let's see what comes out of it. And I think it was really good, really interesting conversation. So thanks a lot. Charles. Yeah, well, thank you. Bye.
0: Bye.